Previously on the Jay and Dan podcast. Do you think at, at some point that perhaps Randy and Priscilla would have to be paid back via sexual favors? No. Mm-hmm. We bought them a blanket. A nice uh, hand-woven wool blanket that uh, was the talk of Cavendish. What? Mm-hmm. This blanket will have a story with it forever. Oh, what I got. Yeah, thanks for the blanket. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, if you're looking for a abandoned beach in which you can have it to yourselves, Crowbush Cove. Go there. <laughs> Then I crashed the uh, the uh, reception after. That's a classic toolsy move. Did you give the bride away? <laughs> yes, I gave her away. Mm-hmm. And then take the bride's virginity that night in the hotel room okay. while the groom watched. Okay, don't know how it got to that. Mm-hmm. They've got this place, I don't know if you've ever been there, called Christiana. It's like a lawless city. Toolsy's already planning next year's <laughs> summer vacation yeah. with the kids. Mm-hmm. I want to live in a lawless society. You do. Orno. Orno, yeah. <laughs> That's right. You're listening to the Jay and Dan Podcast, presented by our good friends at Coors Light. Crush some bullets. Yeah. Big time. Big time, bud. We are into... Oh, <coughs> oh God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, uh, we are into the week of September 11th, 2018. We're a day late on the podcast, but uh, with good reason. I had to drop the ball at the Man Cup in Peterborough on the usual night we uh, tape, which is Mondays. When And then I was told, I was told one thing before dropping the ball, don't drop the ball. You just, you set it there, and then they put their sticks around So if you're dropping a ball at a lacrosse game, don't drop it. It's your uh, lacrosse tip. Lacrosse tips with Dan O'Toole. <laughs> what a weekend it was. <laughs> what, what's the clip we always play on the TV show? <laughs> what a weekend it was. Oh, that is the clip. <laughs> yeah, that's literally what you say. And that's from like 2002. We're sitting on opposite sides. And I'm like high pitch. I'm like, what a weekend it was. Yeah, you're very enthusiastic back CK then. DJ. You, you were a different person back then. You hadn't been beaten down by <laughs> life. all these, by life, by broadcasting companies, by America. I know. I by was women. I was a young go-getter. Yeah, you were. Uh, you were so so full of energy. What happened to that man? <laughs> What happened to that guy? He he's buried long time ago. He go bye bye. So the Orono Fair, very oh, exciting boy. this weekend. Everybody was there. Christoph, did you make it to the Orono Fair? Couldn't make it, unfortunately. Uh, it's a tough one. I didn't mm. make it either. The Dan's going to have to the, tell us all about it. James Barker Band, which was playing on the Friday night, the big Friday night concert. There was two, three thousand people there, maybe more. I don't know. I'm not a good judge of crowds. I know it was more than five, and I was know it was less than ten thousand. So right in, right in the middle there. Hmm. Can you judge a crowd? I, like if you, I don't know if I believe anything you say. If you see a crowd in front of a stage, can you judge how big that crowd is? I guess it depends. I mean, if it's a smaller venue, kind of. Um, 
And then, uh, yeah, so the James Barker Band, they won uh, Song of the Year at the Canadian uh, Music Awards. Not Record of the Year, Song of the Year. And then the Rec Laws, our buddies, they yeah. won Best Emerging Artists. You know, we should really get them on the podcast. They seem like nice people. They are. Um, you met them over the summer. That's right, in Peterborough. You yeah, guys uh, got together and hung out. And I drank the booze out of their trailer at the uh, the music festival in Peterborough must while be, they were performing. Must be that's a classic <laughs> tool scene move. Must be weird to be in a band with your sister. Yeah, don't you I know. Think? You're always together. Odd, and you're always together. And then she's very attractive, mm-hmm. and so like guys must be constantly be hitting on her. And he's the like, brothers, I'm like, in the yeah. band. I'm here. Quit hitting on me. And people probably also think that they're a couple. And then they're like, oh. And if they are, that's none of our business. That would be weird. Uh, But kind of cool in a way, because that would be original. So we had the the Friday night concert, um, and then Saturday, the tractor pull. Hey, Orno Fair organizers, if you're listening. Yeah. Sounds wild. (laughs) I love tractor pulls. But when it starts at 7 and it's still going at midnight, you got to... You got to fix what? that up. How many tractors were there? A thousand? So they started with pickup trucks, then they go into like the souped up ones. They ended with transport trucks pulling the weight, but no one was around to see it. So they that saved was... the best for last, and everyone had gone home because people, it was freezing that night. Everyone was cold, and it was going on for five. Who has five hours to commit to a tractor pull? Who has five hours to commit to a sporting event, which is why baseball is losing an audience. <laughs> so they started off with like, Third, I think every pickup truck within 100 miles was was pulling something. You got to get yourself a truck and get in there. Oh, and then um, went to the midway. Score. <coughs> went to the <laughs> oh, midway after that. Right that would be great. And then my uh, my Just kids. Mark that one down. Stop. My old gr- man toolsy. <laughs> oh God, that was a that was an epic cough on that one. Uh, my girls saw their first fight on the midway. To uh, fight on the midway sounds like a great name for a song, doesn't it? Two uh, young bucks. We saw it all happen. They ran into each other. Guys, like you want to go? And then they just fought, and the guy got dropped with what, one punch. What they just bumped accidentally bumped into each other, and then started fighting. Yep. But you know what it's like Saturday night in a small town. Yep. Every teenager is there. Yep. And they're all. They're all Looking full of hormones. <laughs> That's right. And full of testosterone. They were lined up to get on the zipper, all of them. Oh, yeah, the zipper. Classic. And uh, you were expressed some disappointment last week about the fact that the carnies weren't friendlier to your daughters <laughs> when they were trying to like, go on rides and stuff. Well, and I, I thought, pose this question to you. Have you ever seen someone working a ride, a carny, ever smile? They are literally the butt of every human's jokes. Like, it's the, it's the job that everyone makes fun of. Why would they be happy? It's like asking, why, have you ever seen a convict smile? <laughs> I think one was. I'm sure many of them were. There was, one had a teardrop tattoo. That means they've murdered that someone, does, right? I think so. I don't know, though. I've, I don't have any of those tattoos. You and I should get a bunch of teardrop tattoos and then feign ignorance. <laughs> Yeah, I just cry a lot. No, I, you've killed four people? No. Um, and then people would be afraid of us. My youngest got on the uh, the one ride where you like go through a bunch of swinging weighted uh, like punching bags, and then you go down a slide. It's just... 
She couldn't wait to go on it. The guy took her ticket. No running. That's all he says. Really? Uh, He's just trying to keep her safe. No, but say, hey, make sure you don't run. No running. <laughs> he probably said it so many times by then. Uh-huh. What do you think his, uh, his day job is? Or that is his day That's job. It. That's it. And then my daughter sees this big unicorn, and she's like, Daddy, let's win that. So I go to the lady, how do we win that? She's like, well, you can uh, play $80 worth of games, and I'll give it to you, or you just give me 80 bucks, and I'll give it to you. <laughs> well, at least she was honest. But I said, I, but you should be able to win it. She's like, yeah, if you play $80 worth of games. <laughs> Those dollar dollar bills, y'all. So you slap down four twenties. Four twenty. No, no. That uh, that unicorn stayed where it was. Ah, uh, that's too bad. See, I bet you it was high quality uh, plush. And then, um, so Saturday after the tractor pull and all that, uh, we we go to bed. Obviously, that's what people do at night. My uh, daughter, my oldest, says she wakes up Sunday morning. She goes out in front of the house. She goes, "Daddy, like, yeah." Why is there a wheelchair in front of our house? So I go out. I'm like, what is this kid talking about? Um, yeah, right there was an abandoned wheelchair in the walkway to my front door. Abandoned wheelchair would also be a good name <laughs> for a song or an album. So my, uh, my cousin, Eric, who you met before, he runs the, the hockey shop at the Sensplex, and uh, he came and watched our show in L.A. and did drank he, all the fireball. Uh, did he give Eugene Melnick the uh, 2007 <laughs> Ottawa Senators jersey that he did the interview with Borvietsky in? <laughs> he could have given him a current one. Like, what, what was that? So Eric comes over that day, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. He goes, I'll tell you what to do with it. And then we brought it back, and now we got a new seat next to the, uh, the fire pit. Oh, just that's an ab- nice. Just an abandoned That's wheelchair. not going to result in uh, death down the, <laughs> down the line. Nobody's going to get bombed and try to wheel right into the fire. Oh, they're gonna, there's a hill back there, too. And oh, it's, that's, you're asking for it. And the path is made of bricks, so someone's going to go down on that. Yeah, for sure. Well, this, it'll be fun to watch. This wheelchair has had a lot of use because the, be the rubber was worn out on it. So I hope the person, maybe they were healed at the fair. That's possible by one of the carnies. <laughs> Maybe that's their magic power. The guy was mad at, at Sydney for uh, running through the, the ride because <laughs> he knew he had to save all his energy for healing, healing the crippled. <laughs> the Cripple Healer. Oh, uh, I have some Fridays on CTV. So I was at my mom's uh, house there before the lacrosse game, and uh, she gave me a... She goes, I've been hanging on to this bag of stuff. Take it. I don't want it. So it's all stuff from high school. Um, one's a book of poems. i got to read a couple for you. Let's hear it. I want you to read this story, though. This was in the Peterborough Examiner. So read this one with the headline and start reading the story. I forgot that this, this occurred. When? What year are we looking here? This would have been uh, when I was like, I don't know. Okay, so this is like you're in high school here yeah. at this point. Okay. The headline is, Local students found March break boring. Two bored teens spent the dying days of spring break mulling over trays of fries and hamburgers at the Peterborough Square food court. This was a very uneventful March break, Dan O'Toole said. It was very boring. O'Toole and his friend Justin Monks planned to spend the week partying in Montreal, but a serious lack of money in Monks' 10 p.m. curfew left the two St. Peter's students stranded in Peterborough with nothing to do. I figured I wouldn't be able to get back by 10 p.m. every night, Monks said with a laugh. 
Cold temperatures and snow ruled out tossing around a football or heading to a baseball diamond. The grade 12 students complained. The weather was sucky, according to O'Toole. Monks in O'Toole said they spent the week sleeping in, shopping, and waiting for weeknight parties with friends whose unsuspecting parents had left town. Let me just take a break here. This was in a newspaper? (laughs) Well, they must have said to the guy, we need a March break story. So he walked over to the mall. We were sitting at the food court eating some McDonald's. Some taco time. And I think that's, I didn't read the rest, but that's, that's all I got. I think the rest is about someone else. Learning long division and plowing through musty history textbooks didn't compare with a week of watching movies on the VCR. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's pre-internet, I'd like to remind everybody. So it's not like they were hurting for news, but that's what they chose to put in the examiner. All right, let's hear some of these. Uh, Let's hear uh, what made Dan O'Toole a young Samuel Beckett. So this is called The Book of Life. I got 44 out of 50 on this. This is something you handed in uh, in like English, grade 12 English or something? Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is a uh, psychiatrist dream come true. Uh, Very fitting since the Orinal Fair just uh, ended. Mm -hmm. This one's called The Carnival. Where clowns laugh, children cry, but they do not see the gum on their shoes. The garbage blows around the lot in circles. Where does it go? You say you hope on that bloody clown. Their words are harsh, but I understand why a boy in diapers is terrified by the dis- this disfigured, bright, happy man. Did anyone ever like the carnival? Hmm. I like that, actually. Okay. That was a nice one. Uh, you like this one. The playground. The children scream in pain or joy. That is left to be unseen. All right. For all I see are shades of brown, which block the beautiful faces of our leaders to come. With taunts and howls, they torment me into a violent rage. Jesus. I now see the shade is better than the little it covers. Holy man, you got a lot of anger. (laughs) I never, I don't understand that. What the hell happened to you that day? How about this one's called Sac Le Bleu. The French speak in strange ways, almost alienistic to us. If only we knew the real question with an answer of Sac Le Bleu, we could understand what these hairy-faced short people really meant. That is the question. What were... First of all, were your English... Are you sure this is in grade three? Your English skills are not amazing. This is the last one I'm going to read. It's called Fetch. Duke bites at my arm, gnawing down to the very bone, exposing my arteries to the world. The blood trickles down my quivering body as I watch in amazement the inner workings of my body. I may not see the seriousness of the injury now, but as the infection sets in, I will then know Duke sure puts up a hell of a fight. Huh. I don't know what to say about this stuff. It's, um... So this is something you handed in for for marks to a school? (laughs) Yes. It seemed like you had a lot, because there is some anger within you, but it seemed like, I'm now realizing that maybe it, it didn't kind of occur later in life. In fact, it, it started earlier in life, and that you were always this way. It's very weird. Why, well, why did you continue uh, writing poetry? <laughs> maybe that'd be good for you. No. Here, this is the biography at the back of it. 
Dan O'Toole was born in 1945 in Wales. The son of a bricklayer, he became interested in poetry at an early age. He went to the London School of Poetry, and today it has completed five collections of his unique style of poetry. He now resides in Welshire with his wife Karen of 10 years and his three children, Alexis, Roberto, and Bill. Hmm. Whatever happened to Karen? Do we know what what happened to her? Is she okay? (laughs) Judging by your mood at the time, I'm a little concerned about her. (laughs) And what about Bill and Roberto (laughs) and Alexis? Uh, that was probably named after Alexis Infante, one of the uh, former Blue Jays. So yeah, that uh, that was interesting to find. And w- can we confirm what grade that was from? Uh, <laughs> hopefully, like grade eight. But I don't have a clue. It's not. Uh, there's no date on there. Man, the standards. A lot of things make more sense about your education now. And then this one's from. Um, it's called the Daily Dan Bugler. Um, the last graduating class, uh, I, no, I'll read this one. Those commercials, the article's titled, some commercials these days aren't that good for young people, but some teach the kids something, like not to take drugs or to be nice to older people and do something for them. Some other commercials tell them to watch this or watch that. That's what commercials are. Shows like Miami Vice or Crime Story or some show with lots of violence. Try to tell your kids not to watch those shows and tell them that everything on TV isn't true. And maybe that will stop the sanity in our world today. Stop the sanity? I think I meant to say insanity. <laughs> what, what is this for? Is this something you handed in as No, well? this is something I just did when I was bored at home. Uh, oh, the don't. This one's called the don't. Something you did when you were bored at home? I came up with my own. The newspaper. Dan Bugler? I gotta subscribe. <laughs> Dome. This sounds like a nice community newspaper. What a name they came up with for the dome. They came up with the name Skydome. I hate that name. Lloyd Mosby does too. He said it's the stupidest name they could have come up with. One person said it should say something about Canada or the Jays or Argos. One person said it should be called the D Dome. Well, I don't know where they got that stupid name, but I'd sure like to find out. How silly. Bob Dome would have been better. Uh, what? <laughs> Bob Dome? I never... Was there really a backlash for the name Skydome when Skydome uh, was named? According to the Daily Dan Bugler. Yeah. Oh, and it's 25 cents. That's all it is, a copy. Oh, so you wanted people to pay for this? <laughs> yes, I went to family members. <laughs> God. Those dollar dollar bills, y'all. And uh, I say if... You can send a letter to my office, then I say my room, or to the address below. And then I put our address. I guess I wanted family members to... uh, To write you? To write in. (laughs) So I guess that... And by the way, this is on a typewriter. This is from a typewriter. Yeah, so I guess the the next question is, uh, how many uh, issues of the Dan Bugler uh, came out? How many issues of the Dan Bugler? No, I don't know. I'll have to look uh, look to see if my mom has any more. So far, we've got one. So this is a very rare, rare piece of uh, literature. Bob Dome. I don't Bob know. Dome. The du- what was the other one? The Dud 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 Dome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And then I, um, I reviewed two goaltenders. I reviewed Andy Moog and Grant Fuhr. Ah, oh, two Oilers legends. Andy suffered some knee injuries through the past years. He has a baby face, and his nickname in the dressing room is Peach. He's a stand-up goalie. His net mining skills differ a lot between him and Fuhr, but the results are the same. No, they aren't. Mm. I mean, they were both really great. Grant is a goalie with outstanding reflexes. Experts say he's the reason why the Oilers not won two Stanley Cups. He's the best left-handed goalie to come into the NHL since Tony Esposito. He was great at baseball, but opted for hockey. He's also bothered by an injury, but in his shoulder. This literally sounds like you're copying this out of the hockey news. This, I know this is from when I was uh, in grade six. He's the first black goalie in NHL history. He's also the first goaltender to face two penalty shots in one game and stop them both. Hey, uh, interesting thing about Fierzy, he is in Toronto tonight. What? For the premiere of his documentary. I believe it's called The Making of Coco. Coco was his nickname. I believe that's what it's called. Yeah, that's, uh, it says here, Grant's nickname in the dressing room is Coco. Um, he, yeah, he sent a tweet today saying he's in town. Tonight's the night, Toronto International Film Festival. And he is going to be there for a Q&A. So I, I emailed producer Tim. I said, Grant Fuhr is absolutely one of my favorite players of all time. I, any chance we could... Uh, Talk to the publicist if he's in town. See if we could get him to swing by. No response from Tim. Nothing. Tim. Tim really has has just dropped out of society. Oh, Almost yeah. like you in grade six when you were writing the Dan Bugler. <laughs> Tim no. should write his own newspaper from his Brampton apartment. The Tim Times. Yeah, the Tim Times. Um, this one he's poem really in this checked book, out. This is blatantly. This is a complete Harry Connick Jr. two verses from a Harry Connick Jr. song, and I passed it off as my own poem. Well, you just passed off a hockey news scouting <laughs> report as a Grant Fuhr book report that you handed in, so that makes sense. Can you read it? You didn't read the the, the poem. There. The Harry Connick yeah, Jr.? Yeah. Oh, it's just a he is good, they are happy, he is strong, they are secure. He is right. They are unquestioning. He is wrong. So they you are slid demure. in. So you slid in. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then the teacher said that was one of the ones they liked. Well, of course, because it was written by someone who was competent. <laughs> <laughs> so you were a plagiarist. This is exciting. I got to say, I'm enjoying this little... Uh, Look at that page. Oh, so th- I'm, right now I'm looking at a page of this uh, book of poetry, and on the left is a question mark, a giant question mark, and on the right it says, life, comma, is what? Uh, you're really asking the deep questions back then, weren't you? You're a very interesting guy. Very interesting guy. Uh, I believe we have uh, another interesting guy on the line, Dan. He is the uh, he's the 17th overall pick back in 2001 of the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Defenseman played for the Leafs, he played for the Blues, he played for the Wings, he played for the Flyers, he played for the Sabres, and now he plays for TSN as the co-host of First Up with Michael Landsberg on TSN Radio 1050. It's Carlo Koliakovo. Carlo, thanks for joining us. Um, What time are you going to bed these days in preparation for these early mornings? (laughs) It's still a work in progress. By the way... It's great to be on with you guys, man. I've always been a big fan of you. I can't wait to meet you guys. I'd love to come on your show one day, but I'm enjoying this. I'm going to enjoy this chat with you guys. We're going to be ships passing in the night. We will be leaving. You'll be arriving at work yeah, like two no hours kidding. later. 
<laughs> I'd have to pull one of those all-nighters, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It might happen. If we get a lockout, you know, they'll, they'll make yeah. us all stay till the wee hours while uh, those guys argue it. Um, no, listen, yeah, this like is... Like I said, I mean, it's still a work in progress. Um, I've been a sports guy my whole life, and I've always stayed up to the early morning to watch the last game of sports. So it's going to be an adjustment for me. But having two kids um, has definitely helped. Um, train me a little bit because uh, when the kids go down, usually about an hour or two after they go down, I'm I'm gassed and dead tired and get to bed. Are you officially retired now, Carlo? Are you? Officially? I am. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so had you always wanted? You said you always what loved to watch sports. Had you always thought, okay, at some point when I'm done, I'm going to go into broadcasting? Yeah. Honestly, was never an even afterthought in my mind. Um, I always wanted to get into coaching, um, just being removed from the game. My first priority was to play as long as I could. And uh, I, I always said to myself, uh, with the great players that I played with and the great coaches that I had the pleasure to coach for, uh, under, um, I always wanted to take the information that I took from playing and from learning and translate that into coaching. And I do a little bit of that right now with uh, Power Edge Pro Hockey, um, it's uh, elite hockey training. Um, you're, you're, you're teaching skill on the ice, but you're away from the bench. Um, and then when I came home and I started to think about what I wanted to do, um, I started to um, you know talk to a lot of people and um, network myself through the context of hockey, and you know had some interview for coaching positions. And uh, nothing really panned out. And in the last couple of years, I did some stuff uh, for TSN where I come in and uh, do some spot ins on overdrive and Leafs lunch, and uh, had some you know uh, good contacts there with with uh, Steph and O Dog and and Brian Hayes. And um, you know we reconnected this summer. Um, they tried me out uh, to see if I wanted to do it, and all it took was the first day on the job and, and they're uh, like some... you can string a, a sentence together on like oh dog so you're hired <laughs> <laughs> the beauty that i love about the job is i I'm, I'm comfortable talking about sports and i just i love creating fun conversations and it's that's what this has allowed me to do and um hockey's just been an afterthought since that so aside from hockey what's your go-to on tv for sports NFL. Yeah, okay. Hands down. I'm a diehard fantasy football fan. And uh, do you have a team? Do you have a team that you... Uh, Please say it's the Bills. Please say it's the Bills, Carlo. (laughs) It is. It is the Bills. I'm not a diehard Bills fan. (laughs) Right. I'm just... uh, I feel like I'm connected to the Bills just because I'm from Toronto. It's the closest team from here. I played in Buffalo. I I lived a block away from the stadium. So um, it's a team that I'm... Uh, painfully cheering for every year. Yeah, but uh, uh, last year was fun. Um, you know, watching them make the playoffs. But man, what are they doing over there now? Man? <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you go from making the playoffs for the first time in twenty years, and then you start the following season with Nathan Peterman as your quarterback? How yeah. does that it happen? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's uh, it was truly baffling that decision. But I guess there is a there's a future there with Josh Allen. I guess there's a future at least. You got Either somebody that, there. Or Nathan Peterman is like the best. 
practice QB you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it's totally possible. What's it like working? Uh, we, we've known uh, Landsberg for a long time, and he's uh, yeah. uh, just a terrific guy. Uh, but I feel like I, I don't know how to say this in the nicest way possible. Uh, four hours a day of Landsberg to me would be a bit much. <laughs> it would be a bit much, Carlo. Uh, how, how, is, how has it been uh, working alongside uh, the legend that is uh, Michael it's, Landsberg? Honestly, it's been awesome. Um, Michael's been outstanding. He's He's been so much help uh, for me, giving me so much advice um, every day to be better because uh, that's what I strive to be. I, 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 I really do. I really enjoy working with him. You know, from a guy that even in my time in Toronto, you've always I always knew Michael Landsberg, but I never met him. He never once asked me to come on off the record, which I still hold against him. <laughs> and um, you know, it was it was the, it was the unknown for me, but. To me, I you know I look at my hockey career, and over the last eight years, I've played on six teams. So every year, I had to walk into a new environment and feel comfortable and make new friends and um, create new conversations. So I just I I, I use those experience those experiences in this same situation where I got the chance to meet Michael with the opportunity to possibly work with him. And I'm a happy-go-lucky guy. You know, I don't. I, I, I just. I, I try to create my own fun in, in every situation that I'm in. But Michael's great because he, he he helps create that fun too. And like you said, four hours of working with the guy. Um, he does. He can take over a conversation because he loves to talk. But it's all in great fun. <laughs> now he does those five-hour energy ads. Does he just have like a a, a bucket of the stuff <laughs> that he dunks a, his head in? But- <laughs> You would think he does that because of the way his hair looks. <laughs> He's combing his hair with five-hour energy. <laughs> he still looks good, though. I will say, yeah. I mean, he still but, looks uh, good. Yeah, he's got he's he's fully loaded when it comes to five energy. He's got the <laughs> boxes the galore, and there's some days, honestly, I come in and I'm like. Man, Michael, can I just get one of those five hour energies? And I, I used to take fire energy a little bit during, throughout my career, like during games. And I did notice that it would help. And uh, definitely in the morning, when you little need a little bit of a kickstart, uh, I pop one of those, and I'm just a ball of energy. Look I, out! I heard. Um, I think you've told this story on the radio, but our our podcast listeners may not have heard it. The story of of you hearing from then Leafs GM Cliff Fletcher. <laughs> That you had been traded uh, along with Alex Steen, our friend Alex yeah. Steen, to the Blues. Yeah, just just a weird situation. You would think uh, a manager would be better prepared to say uh, a trade <laughs> to players that have just been traded. Um, and obviously, you look back at the trade, and you would hope that the return was better too. Uh, you know, giving up um, you know guys like me uh, and Steen, who were back to back first round picks to the Leafs. Who were supposed to be, you know, faces of the franchises, and you know, you make a trade of, of that magnitude, and you get back Lee Stampniak. <laughs> I mean, poor guy. Like, <laughs> you know, all the pressure he had of, of and anybody that doesn't know Lee, he's a really, really quiet guy, and I'm pretty sure Toronto got got to know that of him. Um, but um, you know, but, the, but Cliff like didn't even really. He called you into the office, and what happened? He didn't really explain where you were going, right? Yeah, so he called us in. He's like, uh, you know, this is a hard part of the job. Uh, we just want to let you go, let you guys know that you've been traded, and just a pause. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, where have we been traded? <laughs> And he's like, oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot to tell you. You're going to St. Louis. <laughs> I forgot to tell you where your life is going to exist yeah. now. And then, you know, usually 
I, that's the first time in my life I've ever been traded, even after I got traded from Toronto. So I don't really know how a, a normal trade call goes down. But you would think that when they're about to describe the trade, they tell you the whole trade. And that was just a puzzling part for me and Steiner. As we looked at each other, we're like, okay, you know, you, you, you traded us, but like, who are you getting back? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, we're getting Lee Stimniak. Okay. And I could just hear the voice in my head going, and? Like, come on, fill me in. That was a weird time for the Leafs. Very I mean, strange. you lived Very through weird. it. It must have been, uh, and especially as a, as a hometown guy, it must have been a yeah. bit, uh, I guess, disheartening would be the nice word to use. Very disheartening. Um, you know, probably one of the things that I would love to take back in my career uh, was is my time in Toronto because I would always would have loved to know what it was like to win in this city. Um, just because I grew up as a Leafs fan, you know, watched the Gilmore years, watched the Sundin years. Then I'm there as part of those years, and all I wanted to do was play playoff hockey here, and I never really got the chance to do that. And the year I got traded uh, with Cliff coming in, there was you know, obviously the, the the swirls and the rumors of a lot of potential changes. And with Ron Wilson being the coach, uh, you know, you're always hoping you're not part of the, the problem, that you're part of the solution. Because I was a local guy from Toronto, uh, born and raised, got drafted as a first-round pick there, and I wanted you know to live it out there. Um, but they didn't see it that way, um, you know, for whatever. Obviously, not for whatever reason. For the reasons of one, we were a bad team, and two, they made some bad trades um, that uh, included uh, me and Steen going to St. Louis, but. Um, it was a trade that uh, resurrected both of our careers. As much as we loved our time here in Toronto, it uh, it was a stepping stone for us. I mean, Steiner's still playing. Um, for me, at least, it was it allowed me to play another nine years in the league. So, give us your honest assessment of St. Louis as a city. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, me, I mean, I played uh, was it five and a half years there. Everyone, every and, NHL player who goes there seems to love. Yeah. It. And, and for good reasons. I mean, it's it's a, it's a great place to live. It's a very laid back kind of city, uh, a great sports town. It's a great place to raise kids. There's never any traffic, which is you know what people don't know what that's like in this city. Um, Nelly, but, uh, Nelly's from there. Nelly's from there. Um, <laughs> you know, the summers are great, even though it gets a little hot. Uh, I spent uh, the majority of my summers there um, during my time there. Um, Did you ever go my, up in the arch? I did, yeah, I did. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of small spaces, I'm a little bit of claustrophobic, so I was just praying to get in and out of there as fast as I could with my eyes closed, so I didn't really see much. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, you, you talk about every every player that's played there will probably say the same thing. Me and my, for me and my wife have actually talked about possibly living there and settling there, um, you know, maybe uh, later, later on in life because... Um, it's just uh, it felt like a home away from home, and uh, if it wasn't a 13-hour drive, uh, we'd probably be there right now. Well, I'll say this: uh, you just have to eliminate Darren Pang, and there'll be a nice, <laughs> a nice media job Panger? open for you. Yeah. Did, did you ever pull a Chris Pronger and go to a Cards game, sit behind a home plate, and have your shirt off and get interviewed on TV? 
Uh, never with my shirt off, but I have pulled the old uh, sit it behind home plate many times, eating a hot dog. Uh, um, you mentioned you, you, you played in St. Louis, Toronto. Um, you played briefly in Detroit. Did you yeah. play for Babcock in Detroit? I did, yeah. So yeah, I uh, it, it's game season. It's interesting because um, uh, we're, we're we're friends with Mike Commodore, and, and as you know, Mike doesn't think highly. <laughs> Not a big fan. Not a big fan, and I, I, I'm always fascinated to talk to guys who played for him. Um, and you know, and you can be as candid as you like, but yeah. uh, but your honest opinion of, of playing for him, and then how he fits with a team now in Toronto that's obviously full of young guys. Um, you know, long term, do you think he's going to be able to, to to hold their ear, so to speak? Well, my experience is, is different than, than Mike's. I was there for a 48-game season, which totaled up to be three and a half months. So I didn't get to spend the amount of time or um, have to concern myself uh, or, or, or waste the energy of worrying about what my relationship was going to be with Mike Babcock because uh, it was a shortened season. Um, but what I did take away from Mike was that, um, hands down today, I still believe he's the best coach I've ever played for. Um, but I can understand, um, the battles that he can create between a player and a coach. Um, not every, he, he Mike is, Mike's greatest strength is learning how to deal with, not learning, knowing how to handle different personalities. He's almost like he's almost a coach where um, it's his way or no way, and some guys can 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 take that constructively, and some guys can take that and just lose their mind about it. And Mike Commodore is probably one of those guys that lost his mind about it. Right. Um, he's he's he doesn't like confrontation. Um, he likes to have control, which is why I think he benefits a lot more for coaching a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs because it's a bunch of young players that um, with the system that he can provide them with can be very successful. He's very hard on uh, on players to play a 200-foot game. Uh, he, he's, he's a, he's a, a genius is the wrong word, but he, he's very good at breaking down video and simplifying the game for young players, even for older guys. Like that, that was one of the benefits that I really took away from playing for Mike Babcock is I became a smarter player because I just learned how to calm the game down. And that's a real strength that he has. Um, but he's demanding. He's demanding, um, but there's two ways you can take it. You can, you, you, you can take the, the demanding style and be better from it, or you can take the demanding style and, and, and sulk from it. And um, a lot of the older players in Detroit bumped heads with them because um, they grew up in a culture where coaches there just were a voice behind the bench, where when Babs was there, he was a voice that wanted you to play a certain way. Um, and it rubbed a lot of the older guys the wrong way, um, which is why you know him with younger players I think is a perfect fit. Was there one player in your career, whether a teammate or an opponent, where they were just on, they seemed to be on a different level whenever you played against them or played with them, where you're like, that guy should be in another league all by himself? Yeah, well, just recently, the only guy I can think of now is Connor McDavid. I mean, this guy, Bull, I mean, I, I, I train him a little bit in the summertime with some of the hockey stuff that I do, and just to see some of the, some of the things he can do on the ice at full speed. Uh, really, really blows you away. And if you really think about it, the game of hockey has become so fast, but the the size of the ice hasn't changed. 
And it's very hard or very rare to see a guy getting beat one-on-one. Well, who's the only guy you really see mostly do that? It's Connor McDavid because he knows how to create that separation with, with puck to player and create chances for himself. So um, I would say throughout my career, definitely Pavel Datsuk. I mean, and, and luckily for me, I got to spend half a season with him. And, and there's a reason why they call him the magic man is because um, some of the stuff he can do in practice, you, you just shake your head and laugh. And it's like, man. This guy's just too good to be playing hockey. And you and you mentioned Datsuk, and it seems like every former player who played with him is almost more in awe of him than the fans were. Like it yeah. was like he didn't have enough accolades. For yeah, how for real. Was, and, right? and the thing that impressed me the most about Pav is he's better on his backhand than most players are on their forehands. And what I mean by that is, like, his he could take a slap shot with his backhand, or he makes <laughs> saucer passes with his backhand that most guys can't make on their forehand. And then you, we're going to ask you about a bunch of players you used to play. Yeah, with, no that's problem. cool. So uh, you also played with Zetterberg, and that was you were with Prime Zetterberg there. Yeah, I was. Uh, so, the, so tell us about that and the difference between the two players. Well, talking time. about a, talk about a guy that led by example. I mean, when this guy spoke in the room, everybody listened. Um, an outstanding leader uh, really reminded me a lot of Matt Sundin. Um, but he always carried um, a quiet confidence to him where he was a fun guy to be around all the time. Uh, it was a little giddy at times, but really <laughs> relished his role of being a leader. And it, it translated to on the ice. On the ice, he, he was always uh, the, the guy on the bench and on, and on the ice preaching it for his line mates and his teammates to be better than they were. And it, it became contagious where, you know, that's why they, in Detroit, they've had the culture of winning because guys look up to guys like, like, like Hank and see what he does on a daily basis and the things he preaches on a daily basis and know that uh, the vibe that's created in Detroit, and it, it comes from Mike Babcock too, and it's a little bit different here because of the market of Toronto, but they don't really care what you do away from the ice. Once you step foot in the doors of the rink, it's business. And that all starts from Henrik Zetterberg. And then you mentioned Sundin. Um, all sorts of, you know, he's such he's almost like an unknowable guy in a way, unless you played with him, which you did. So, so, yeah. so tell us about your time with him. Yeah, my, listen, Matt Sundin um, was, was, was a role model for me because uh, he was the first captain I played for coming into the league. And uh, I was starstruck when I first saw Matt Sundin because I couldn't believe I was on the same ice as him. Um, but if there's one thing that, that really left an impression on, uh, on me from Matt is he was a really big fan of mine. And every day he would always communicate with me, always tried to make me feel comfortable. And as a young 19-year-old, uh, being the youngest guy in the room where the next youngest guy is 28 years old, uh, that could be a hard environment to walk into in my rookie season. And Matt's always made it a priority every day to come talk to me and ask me how I was doing and uh, give me words of advice in practice and always tell me, hey, anytime you can't get up the ice, I want you up the ice all the time because early in my career, you know, I, I had a knack for, for, for being up in the rush and creating chances and 
creating that third wave of offense. And um, he, he, he was really good at that. And even away from the ice, just, just an absolute pro. And if, if social media was as big as it is now back then, I, I think people would have gotten a greater appreciation to who Matt Sundin really is. Um, because you would have seen more of a person that he is away from the rink, and that translated to the leader that he was on the ice for us. Were you on that Leafs team that uh, played in the first ever shootout game in NHL history? Were you on that team? Wow, which game was that? Oh, it was the first. It was against the Sens. It was the first shootout game. I don't even know what year the shootout came. Yeah. Hmm. Anyways, that was the last. That was the last Leafs game I uh, reported on. And Matt's Matt's got hurt in that game. Yeah. Okay. Um, ring a bell. No, no. How about uh, I'm going to throw some? Well, you mentioned Jeff O'Neill. You oh, you man. played with the O Dog. <laughs> like the the man. You know, he, he's such a fascinating human because his his DGAF meter is don't give a f- meter is so yeah. high now. Was it like that when he was a player? Oh yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. I mean, and as good as always. Um, and he is, he's absolutely hilarious, uh, to listen to every day. Um, he's the last guy, and I told him this straight to his face, and there's a lot of guys that played with him that'll say the same thing. He is the last guy in the world you would have ever thought that would step into the role that he's in. Cause he would always have that, that, that sort of mentality with the media where it was like, he would just brush him off every right. time. But you know, he, he good for him um, for for you know changing everybody's perspective of him. And, but that's what makes him great. Uh, the funniest story that I've ever had, and I can't share the the the, the, the private stuff that I've seen or, or, or done with, uh, <laughs> with with the old dog. But um, he used to all he, he he part of the reason why they call him the old dog because he was he was an owner of bulldogs. And he would bring them to the rink almost at least once or twice a week to practice. He'd, he'd have three of them at one point. And he'd bring them in on a leash, and he'd, he'd just hand them off to the security guards, and he'd be like, hey, I need you guys to watch my dogs for the practice. <laughs> and so the, these, these three little bulldogs would just roam around the room and just make themselves at home. And I remember one day, candidly, uh, Eddie Belfort is in, in the weight room. He's on the bike, and he comes storming into the lounge, and he goes, oh, Get your bleeping dog out of the room. He just took a big crap in the middle of the weight room. <laughs> <laughs> I must have loved it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But listen, for for how much of a beauty Old Dog is, he's one of the most generous persons I've ever played with. Um, he was always one of those, always the best guy that would tip the trainers, that would show appreciation to the guys working at the rink. Uh, a real gentleman to his to his teammates and the people around the team, um, and um, you know I had the great privilege of playing with him and um, you know seeing the goals that he would score and the way he would celebrate and uh, just, just uh, so grateful for that opportunity. And I, you know, working at TSN with him again, I, I hope to share some more memories with him. Well, you'll be if you can because he he's barely here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's here as little as he possibly can be. Yeah. Oh, I, I have to go back to St. Mailing it in oh, all the time. <laughs> I, I just want to quickly go back to St. Louis because you played with Korea for a little bit there. Paul E. K. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. He. Uh, um, 
One of the, again, one of the most generous guys I've ever met, but again, one of the cheapest guys I've ever played for the amount of money he made. I love it. I love stories like that. Yeah. I love when um, money doesn't change guys that way, you know? Yeah, but I tell you what, he was a, he was a trainer's worst nightmare. Um, how particular this guy was with his equipment with his gloves, with his sticks, with his helmet. It, like almost every piece had to be to the perfect inch. And he would spend hours on hours cutting his sticks, making sure they're the same height, they're the same weight. And if they weren't, he would just like lose his mind on either the stick rep or the, the trainer. And uh, he'd all, every day he would have the trainers... <laughs> sew a new pair of gloves for him so hand sew you know nowadays the 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 equipment companies when they send gloves they send them ready to go he would he would have the gloves sent in pieces and the trainers would sew the gloves handmade for him oh my god but for how hard of a time he gave the trainers he definitely took care of them at the end of the year really really generous with them and what I, I mean, uh, just a class act with, with, with the way he played and the way he represented himself uh, off the ice. Let's throw a goalie in the mix. Curtis Joseph. Oh, Curtis, Curtis is awesome, man. It's funny. I've, I, I got to, um, just, I ran into him uh, yesterday at the Leafs golf tournament that got reined out uh, because I'm part of the alumni now, which is awesome, man. I'm so excited for that. <laughs> and, um, you know, Cooj was was just just a happy guy. Every time, every time you saw him, he had the biggest smile on his face. Um, loved to play the game of hockey. Always had some great stories. Um, and you know, he was the Cujo. He was the guy with the what's the animal that he had on his mask? I can't even remember. It was uh, the rabid dog, but I don't know what kind of yeah, dog it was. Yeah, the, the, the resemblance behind that. But every time you look at him, you just see that 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 picture of his helmet you know, slapped onto his face and it was hard to take him serious at times, but, uh, uh, an absolute great guy. Great guy. Uh, you played with Darcy Tucker. It's funny. Um, a lot of people hated that guy when he played, if he were in a Leaf fan, but I feel yeah. like it's a little revisionist history now. Cause he's, you know, he played on some amazing junior teams, those Kamloops teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I love talking to him now. I'd like to see him get into the media. I don't know. I think he would do do well. Well, he's a great talker. Um, you know, he's 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 a great social guy. He loves to have uh, social conversations. Uh, it's funny. Even at the golf tournament the other day, he's part of the alumni as well, and everybody was complimenting. Uh, uh, John Tavares signing with, with the Leafs, and he made a joke basically saying that he was the only guy in Toronto that received criticism when John Tavares signed for the Leafs because of how much he was hated for, oh man, who was the guy he knocked out in um, on the island? Oh, um, wasn't, not uh, Dan, not Webby, was it? No. 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 Oh man, he hit somebody really hard in New York in a playoff Oh, series. Pekka. Pekka, yeah. yeah, that's what it was, yeah. yeah. So everybody was all over him about, you know, the dirty hit on, on Pekka <laughs> or whatever it may be. And, yeah. Um, you know, so you could, you could, yeah, Darcy's one of those guys, if you're not playing with him, you hate him. Yeah. But if, you, if you're playing with him, you love him. And uh, as much as I, I credited Matts for uh, being so great to me as a young guy, um, I got to say, uh, Darcy, Shane Corson, and Travis Green, uh, were three guys that that really um, made me part of their group um, when, when 
when I uh, when I my first couple of years here and uh, embraced me as a young kid and welcomed me into their their dressing room and into their families and um, you know shared a lot of great memories with those guys too and uh, Darcy's a guy that uh, even throughout my career um, every time I came back I'd always make an effort of playing around golf with him or seeing him somewhere out in public and having a drink or going out to dinner and uh, we still have a little bit of a relationship now where. Um, uh, I know he's coaching his son, I believe, now in minor hockey. Uh, so I'm pretty sure now that I'm back in Toronto full-time, we'll be seeing each other a lot more. Um, but uh, one of the great Leafs uh, that I had the privilege to play with, and uh, um, me joining the alumni now, I'll get the chance to play with him on the alumni team. And I oh boy. I hope he doesn't bring oh the same he will. style of play to an alumni <laughs> he game. He will. How can he Because I definitely don't want to be fighting on behalf of him in an <laughs> alumni game. Listen, I wish we could uh, we could just ask you about a million. Like the, you know, t- I wanted to ask you about Tarasenko. I want, but you know what? We got to run. But listen, I would love to have you on the the television show and, and yeah. have you back here but uh it's just been awesome that you've spent a little time with us and i i know you got to get to bed but uh, but thanks carlo and, and best of luck uh, with landsberg on the morning show <laughs> yes, yeah thanks guys uh, listen i could sit here and talk yeah. forever too this is fun uh, let's do it again sounds good my thanks friend. buddy all right boys take care there you go carlo koliakovo that was great. Yes, yeah, so we got to go. We got to run. Uh, talk to uh, Mike, Johnson, Mike Johnson, another about, former Leaf. What are we talking about? We're talking about uh, Steve Eiserman unexpectedly oh, right. stepping down as GM of the Lightning uh, just days before the start of training camp. Just shocking uh, timing. So uh, we will uh, we will talk to you next week. Yeah, uh, make sure you sign up for the uh, the Daily Dan Bugler, and um, we'll get you. We'll get those copies sent next out week. Now. Hopefully, I have a, a chance to uh, to recap my past weekend. Uh, we never even t- got to that. Yeah, I know. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. We're busy reading poems. <laughs> anyway, okay. Uh, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Bye bye. They're going home. Let's go.
This is the Jay and Dan Podcast, presented by our good friends at Coors Light. 